Good morning, church. So it was about a decade ago, across the pond, Prince William married Catherine Middleton. And it was kind of a big deal. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? No. Okay. I know you, you weren't alive then. It's, it's fine. And, and also it's fine because I, <laughs> I didn't care that much. Because I'm an American. And I consider it a point of patriotism to not care what the British monarchy is doing. But setting my own indifference aside, I can say, sort of scientifically, that it was a big deal because there were 72 million people streaming the ceremony on YouTube. And I don't know if you've looked at our numbers, but that's a little bit more than we get for Sunday worship. If you add in the viewership that was on TV, that number grows to somewhere around 100 million people watching the wedding. As you might have guessed, I was not one of them. I have a suspicion that most of the folks who are watching the festivities from home would have gladly attended in person. But only a small fraction did. I say a small fraction. Compared to my wedding, which was already larger than I had envisioned. But it was a massive wedding, right? The, the, the guest list for the service proper was um, 1,900 people. But that's out of 100 million who were watching the service. So that's a pretty... That's a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Now, of the 1,900 people who got an invitation, how many do you think came? I don't know, but I bet it was probably most of them. 100 million were watching, less than 2,000 were invited. I would imagine that those invited made an effort to be there. If you had received one of those invitations, how much would you be willing to shuffle your schedule around to make it happen? Hmm. Well, of the 1,900 people invited to the service, only 600 were invited to the reception. And only half of that were invited to the dinner afterwards. So if I'm, if I'm going to be real honest, and I have to because I'm preaching, despite my previously mentioned patriotism, if I got one of those invitations to be one of the 300 at that wedding, reception, dinner, I would figure out some way to be there. I would. But Why? Well, it would probably be the best meal I ever eat. I mean, honestly. There's going to, like, 
it's going to be like a several hundred dollar or maybe thousand dollar plates that they, that they serve you, right? And, and, and that would really be something to experience. But that's not why I'd really want to be there. That's just a perk. I'd be surrounded by famous, important, and potentially interesting people. And, you know, befriending rich and powerful people, that, that can, maybe, prove kind of useful down the road. And, and if not that, at least, you know, if you can tell a story about a celebrity encounter, eh, people like to hear those stories. They're kind of just fun stories to tell. Anybody ever had one of those stories to tell? I know, I've heard them. But that's not why I'd really want to be there. The real reason that I'd want to be there is that that royal couple could have invited 100 million people. But for some reason, they picked me. And that, maybe just by sheer fact of their royalty and my humble station, it makes the invitation a huge honor. I might not even know why I was invited. I might wonder if it got sent to the wrong address. But if they thought I was important enough to make the short list, I don't know, it just feels like it'd be wrong to turn something like that down. Hopefully, the parallel to our parable today, it's pretty clear. The parable we read about, it wasn't exactly the same situation, but it's not that different either. There's a, there's a king whose son is getting married, and they're celebrating that marriage with a feast, and invitations went out. And as, as with Kate and William, People got the invitations, and they, were, they flocked to come to the wedding. Right? No. They didn't. They didn't come. And that's weird, you know? Like I said to the kids, usually, if the king tells you to do something, you do it. And usually the things he tells you to do are not that much fun. Pay me some taxes. Grab that sword and go die, right? And what do you say? Yes, sir. Because to say no, usually you got to pay the price for no. And that price might be imprisonment or execution. So when the king tells you to do something, generally you pay attention. And yet, the way the story goes is, is that the first generation of invitations, they go out. And, uh, and they get ignored. And it's crazy because they weren't being commanded to do dangerous or immoral or even humiliating things. They were just invited to come celebrate with the king. So the messengers go out and the invitees get it and they're like, 
Sorry, I can't. I got to go organize my sock drawer. <laughs> and, and those are the best responses that the invitations get. Some of the people who get invited, they beat up or they kill the messenger. And the kids asked me a couple minutes ago, and I think it's a good question, like, why, why would you do that? And all I can figure is that they, they had something wrong with how they saw the king. Or maybe it's not the king. Maybe it's just the son that they have contempt for. But what they're doing, it, it, it isn't just disrespectful, right? It is disrespectful, but the king invited them. This is, re- and then to kill the messenger, that's rebellious. That's like treasonous. Now, we all know Jesus' life story. I think most of the people in the room do. And we know his purpose. And so for us, the interpretation of this parable seems pretty straightforward, right? Uh, So let's go with this. Um, The king whose son is getting married. Who is the king? God the Father. Good job, guys. (laughs) We are. Did did I mention that we have a a full pot of coffee in the back there? If you... (laughs) The king who throws the party is God the Father. Who is the king's son? Okay, good. Back on track. Jesus himself. The guy telling the story, incidentally. So then the wedding feast. What is the wedding feast? Well, it's probably the joys of eternal life. I think that's a good way to understand it. It is interesting that that's the picture that he uses, though, because especially with a royal wedding, it's not usually like, you know, they hopped in the car, went to Vegas, and got hitched in 15 minutes, right? Like, there's, there's a time of betrothal. There's a time of waiting between the groom and his bride. And when they finally are united... It's a big deal. And they've been waiting on it until the time was just right. Okay, back on track. The messengers, the messengers who brought the invitations. Well, who are those guys? Those are the prophets, okay? And, and we know how things went for them. Um, most of the prophets in their own day were not accepted. They were rejected and oftentimes killed, just like it is in the story, for the message they brought. Okay, so if that's the case, who are the people who rejected the invitation? Well, that's pretty easy too, right? That would have to be the people of Israel that the prophets were sent to. Probably. Mostly? We'll come back to that. Now, there's a second group of invitees in the story. And th- those are the ones that just get grabbed up off the street at random. And so who would that be? Well, okay. 
that has to be the, like, the sinners and outcasts. Eventually, the Gentiles, who all received the gospel invitation after it was rejected by the more righteous-seeming Jews. Yeah, that works well. That's all nice and tidy. That, we, can, we can go along with that as an interpretation of the story, right? But what does any of that have to do with you and me then? Like, what do we do with that story? It seems like it's just kind of a done deal. Well, maybe since we're a church named Mission, we should start with this simple idea. No one came to the wedding feast without being invited. I think that goes well beyond just making people aware of the party. It seems, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but it seems that it's impossible to be part of the feast without an invitation. Now, of course, it's a sad truth that a lot of the folks who are invited refuse to come. But that's not the fault of the messengers. It may be, as it was in the story, that a low percentage of the people who, who are invited accept the invitation. But the flip side of that is, of the people at the party, 100% were invited. So why doesn't everybody come? It's not explained in the story. You've got to kind of infer it by their actions. It seems that there were some folks who were openly hostile to the king. Right? So we might conclude that for some people, it isn't, a prob- it, it isn't a problem of them getting the invitation. It's that there's an outstanding problem between them and God. That doesn't mean it's a hopeless situation. It doesn't mean it's useless to share the gospel invitation to them. It just means that the invitation will probably get neglected until they are reconciled with God. But that's not the only reason. There are other reasons in the story that people don't come. The first two people that are mentioned that turn down the invitation, it's because they've got, and I'm going to use the ironic air quotes, better things to do. They're occupied with their own business, literally, to the exclusion of the king's business. And this should be a good cautionary tale for us. You might might not be openly hostile to God, but are you too busy for him? Are you willing to drop what you're doing when he calls? And if not... Have you really thought over what you're missing? After all, the invitation to come is the invitation to celebrate. It's an invitation to joy. That's that's what's being asked of you. But, and there's often a but, The road to that celebration comes with a dose of humility. 
And it begins with that willingness to drop what you thought was important for the sake of the king's invitation. But that's just the first step. There is another, there's more humility to come, right? There's a part of the story that I haven't talked about yet, but it sticks out when you read it. It's kind of the last thing Jesus talks about. The story wraps up with an odd twist where the king (laughs) comes into the banquet hall and he looks around at all the guests and somebody's sticking out, right? He sees somebody there who is not dressed in proper wedding attire and then he kicks him out. What is that? Well, let's keep the whole story in mind. Where did these guests come from in the first place? The servants went and just pulled them off the street. I don't know about you, but I don't like run to go get groceries in my Sunday best. And I certainly don't, you know, do yard work in, in my good clothes. Stands to reason that everybody who came, came improperly dressed, right? And yet, when the king comes into the hall, he looks around and almost everybody is wearing proper wedding clothes. Where did those come from? Well, it would seem to me that the king must have provided them. Now, what does that mean? Well, for me to wear the king's clothes, I first have to take mine off. The guests had to, had to strip themselves of their own dirty, and cheap, and common clothes and put on the clean and costly and fine clothes that they were given. And they were probably given to them on the way in, right? I mean, that makes sense. Which means that they all had to come in through the door they were shown. That's why the king's question is is an interesting question. I think it clears us up. He says to the man who's not wearing the right clothes, he says to him, how did you get in here in those clothes? Our invitation is to a celebration, but there is only one way to enter the wedding feast, and that's through the one door that the gospel invitation offers. You can't just get in any old way you want. And to be part of the feast, you have to be stripped of your filthy and poor clothes. Which, again, if we're, if we're explaining the metaphor, I don't know what that could be other than just a picture of your personal righteousness. Your clothes are that, the record of your life. I'm pretty hard on my clothes. As my wife well knows. I get them dirty. I wear out the hems and the knees. I scuff the toes of my shoes, and I eventually will walk their soles clean through. I do have some nicer clothes that I don't wear all the time. But even if I pulled out my nicest clothes and got a proper shoe shine... I would be horribly out of place and underdressed at a royal wedding. 
I simply can't afford the right clothes. That's one of the beautiful things about this story is that the king doesn't require people to have royal attire. He provides it. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, I think it's chapter 61, prophet Isaiah says this, I will, greatly, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Putting on the proper wedding clothes means letting go of what you brought. None of us comes to God radiant and clean, but, but God isn't asking us to. He exchanges our sin for his righteousness. He wraps us in his glory and splendor. Because of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, the forgiveness that he offers, the righteousness that he shares, God makes us fit for the feast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the invitation to come and celebrate the marriage feast of your son with his bride. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a, a spirit and, and, and the wisdom and courage to drop what we're doing for the sake of that invitation. We pray that you give us the honesty and the humility to let you strip us of our filthy garments and with gratitude and love to put on the righteousness that you give us. But Lord, we're not just guests in this story. I, I believe we're also the messengers. And so I pray that you'll motivate us to keep sharing those invitations to the unlikely people, the people just on the roadways, people in their own filthy clothes. I pray that you'll help us to continue to make that invitation so that they can come and share in your joy and be part of your celebration and receive for themselves the very robe of your righteousness. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.